Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Grateful to be with you, really am. Um, I want to jump into it. I I want you to think for a moment about a time when you have changed your mind about something. And I'm not talking about like super deep change. I just mean like change about something rather everyday type of change. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like something simple. I'm talking about changing your mind. Like at one point in my life, I loved watching baseball. I've changed my mind. Y'all get me? There was a time in my life when I avoided the turnpikes. I thought I couldn't avoid a pike pass. I've changed my mind. (laughs) There was a time in my life I thought the Jonas Brothers were lame. I've changed my mind. (laughs) They're super cool. There was a time in my life I did not like sour cream on my tacos. I've changed my mind. There was a time in my life I thought Tom Brady was retired. I've changed my mind, amen. How many of y'all have eaten vegetables when you were a kid? You hated eating vegetables, but as an adult, you've changed your mind. Raise your hand. How many of you, as an adult, you hated eating vegetables, and as an adult, you've not changed your mind? Right. It's time to grow up. We all have. (laughs) We all have trivial everyday things that we uh, change our minds about that are not all that deep. Um... We are constantly evolving and changing, aren't we? We are constantly changing our mind about things, surface-level things, deeper things. They're hard, en- they're hard enough, those surface-level things. But when it comes to deeper change, uh, changing your mind about important things about your life, that can be difficult, right? That could be hard, not only about what we think about things, but what we actually practice, what we actually live. You know, before I was a Christian, I thought... Everything about church was absolutely boring, right? I don't know if, uh, and I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, well, I am a Christian and everything about church is absolutely, no, maybe you don't think that, but not if you come here, right? It's not boring. Amen. (laughs) We're related, man. I got you, bro. We're related. Yeah, I love that. That was good. The truth is for me, you know, even after I became a Christian, church didn't, seemed to offer me all that much that I, that I truly loved. It, I mean, I went, but it wasn't all that great for me. It wasn't until I became a Christian when I was um, around 14 or so, and uh, it wasn't until 19 or 20, though, that it changed, and church became something that I enjoyed and thought was relevant to my life. Uh, I, before that, it was like, you know, it was a thing that I did, but sermons were kind of hard to understand, and they talked about a lot of things that didn't seem relevant to me, and songs were not relevant to me. But I went to a church, and I was, it was a very powerful encounter with of, of seeing God move in some ways. And all of a sudden, all these things became very, very important to me and a very relevant place of bringing my everyday life into a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I guess church went for me from boring to essential. I changed my mind, right? And I think that all of us have maybe had experiences like that, whether it be in our faith life or in our uh, just life in general. I've changed my mind about politics. Anybody with me? You know what I mean? Like, meaning I had one thought of beliefs. Now I have a little bit different. I've changed my mind around all sorts of issues in life. I've even changed my mind about things that I at one time believed the Bible taught. And then as I grew and studied more and learned more, I think a little differently about the Bible, right? And so changing our 
minds is rather normal. Uh, and it can be as minor as likes and dislikes to as major as our whole structures around faith, uh, around life, around our identity. And so here's what I want to do today. We're in, we're in part 16 of our series, The Book of Luke, Miracles Everywhere. And next week, we will be turning our attention to the final week of the life of Christ before he was crucified. And then, of course, up to Easter Sunday when he was resurrected. And so for the next number of weeks, we're going to be putting all of our attention to that. But today, I wanted to take a step back, if you will, and consider the message of Jesus. Like, what is he really saying in the Gospels? What is he saying in this book of Luke? And he was telling people, and I don't know if we're just going to boil it down. He was telling people to change their minds about what they thought they knew. He was telling them to embrace a new way of life that begins with Jesus as king. This is what he was saying. So I've titled today's message, Americanized Jesus. How many know that there is a Jesus and there is an Americanized Jesus? We all know what I'm talking about. An Americanized Jesus or a Westernized Jesus is a mixed version of the Jesus that we read about in the Bible and the Jesus that has been kind of culture, culturalized, right, through the Western society and, and the different, different, uh, different preferences people have. And so here's the thing about Americanized Jesus. It's really pliable, too. It's not one type of Americanized Jesus. It's, it's, it's a preference base. There's different shades of Americanized Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to first... Define real quick, Americanized, and I got this from uh, Pete Scazzaro, but he says this, to Americanize something is to cause to acquire or conform to American characteristics or to bring something under political, cultural, or commercial influence of the United States. Within the church, to Americanize Jesus is to follow him because he makes my life better and more enjoyable. So it's to follow Jesus only because you think he makes your life better. In other words, a lot of people in America, when they think of Jesus, they think, I need Jesus to make me happy. I want him to be my happy pill. I need Jesus to, be, to give me answers so he's my answer man. Or I need Jesus to be my security blanket. You know what I mean? So I have all the securities I need, eternal and, and here in the present, present tense, I need him to be my security blanket. In our culture, Jesus can become more of those things than become the followed example of a surrendered life, a life in which Jesus is our companion and suffering, our unquestioned way of life that we obey and follow, but follow because he is the undisputed king of our life. He can easily become things that we want for ourselves versus our example of how to live, how to sacrifice, how to love, how to surrender. Americanize Jesus because becomes a me-centered way of relating to Jesus, where Jesus primarily exists. I want you to catch these little thoughts. Jesus primarily exists for the purposes of helping you. You ever want, I mean, none of these things are bad, but when he primarily exists for the purpose of helping me, giving you advice, so we search the Bible under topical index, you know what I mean? Like, what does God have to say about this? Or, you hope Jesus will give you a better tomorrow. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Jesus can be those things. But when that is the primary relationship we have with Jesus, for us to experience a better life, we need Jesus to help us with our life, give us a better life. 
When, when that becomes the purpose of Jesus, we've got off of the purpose that Jesus had for himself, and we've made him a me-centered existence. It's a me-centered Jesus. And here's what we got to do. We got to crucify the me-centered Jesus so the real Jesus can be resurrected. That's what we need to do in life. So I'm talking about something that I hope most of us can understand and we feel the tension of. Now, just so you know, America isn't unique in this sort of resized version of Jesus that can be customized to your liking. There's all sorts of other types of Jesus. There's the Catholicized Jesus, right? Where the Catholic Church is all about more, this isn't every Catholic, but the Catholic Church is more about the traditions of the Catholic Church than it is about surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. There is the Easternized Jesus that's more about Eastern cultures. There's even probably the Australianized Jesus, the Nigerianized Jesus. There's probably lots of types of Jesus, right? We get that. But the idea quickly becomes something that we have to have quite really good questions about. For example, are we following the Jesus we read about in the Bible, or are we following <clears throat> what I'm calling today this Americanized Jesus? And I just want you to know, I don't stand here thinking that I've got this figured out. I stay up late at night wondering to myself, asking myself really good questions about, God, am I staying true to your message? Am I staying true to who you want me to be? Am I staying true to your word? Or am, am I becoming a product of my environment? How many of you know that in many ways we're all just products of our environment? And that's a little scary. For example, if you grew up in the mountains, you're probably either really good at skiing or hiking or rock climbing. In other words, you're probably really cool <laughs> if you grew up in the mountains. <clears throat> if you grew up in New York City, there's a good chance you honk a lot when you drive <laughs> and like to say, how you doing, or something like that, <laughs> right? The fact that we're in Oklahoma City for many of us, that makes us all, we're all united around hoping and rooting for, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? The fact that we live here. Nobody else likes the Thunder unless you live here. Why would you? But we're products of our environment. Culture even dictates what we drink in the morning. If you live in America, you wake up drinking coffee. If you live in Britain, you wake up drinking tea. And if you're born in Ireland, you wake up drinking beer. It's all, we're all just products of our environment, right? So the question then becomes, what do we do? Like, do we, will we do as the world around us does? Or what, and, and I have to wonder, right? Have we created some hybrid of Christianity that is an American version of following Jesus? And here's the thing. I, I've thought about this for a long time. I've talked about this many times over the years. But I continue to, to come back to this because we are living in an environment where we can easily become someone who just finds ourselves acquiescing to the culture versus shaping the culture. We have to ask ourselves, is our environment shaping us more than we are shaping our environment? And as Christians, we've been given the mantle and the responsibility by Jesus himself to shape the world around us, to actually reach it, to change the world around us. And all of us know that it's very hard to change the world because the cultural forces coming against us is like a strong wind and we feel like we're standing against the wind as we try to change the direction of the wind. How many of you know you don't have the power to do that? But how many of you know that someone else does? And it comes through 
the power of Jesus. You know, cultures across history have had the tendency to create their own versions of Jesus. Even when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, I want you to think about this. He shows up 2,000 years before Jesus shows up, the Jewish culture of the day who lived in Israel, they already, they were expecting a Messiah. They had been praying for a Messiah for years. And before God ever sent Jesus, they had what I'm calling a Jewishized Jesus. They had a picture of what the Messiah should be and could be and would do. They had already planned what he would come and do. They were thinking, he's going to come. He's going he's to release us from the oppression of Rome. He's going to set up Israel as the elite nation in the world. We're going to become the great power of the world because that's what the Messiah is going to do. So before Jesus ever showed up, there was a culturally accepted and expected version of the Messiah, and he steps into a culture that already wanted him to be something else. And here he is coming in saying, I need to change your mind about what you think you thought you knew. And I wonder if he's doing the same thing. We're all born into something. We think we know who Jesus is, but it's actually a culturally influenced, shaped reformed, reshaped version of what King Jesus really is. And he's still saying to us, I need you to change your mind. I need you to change your mind. So here's what I want to go today. I want to go back and consider the central message of Jesus and what we find in the book of Luke. We see this in the other gospels as well. But we're going to Luke chapter 4, right when Jesus starts his public ministry in verse 40. It says this, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them, speaking of the demons, and he would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So Jesus has just started in the ministry. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. Can we say miracles everywhere, right? At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep, from, keep him from leaving them. But he said, I want you to catch this verse. This is a key verse. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now, this statement by Jesus is incredibly important. I can't even actually, we can't overstate its importance. This is sort of works like a purpose statement. If you were writing, remember back in the day when you had to write a thesis for your paper? This is a thesis statement in some ways. This is the purpose statement of Jesus. And a few things stand out right off the bat. The first one is that verse 43 ends with Jesus saying, that is why I was sent, implying that he was sent by God from heaven to earth. Nothing gets sent without a purpose. You send a, you send a mail, a letter in the mail, whoever does that still. You send a text message, you send an email. Shoot, if you send food through Grub, Grubhub, it's going somewhere for to say something or to provide something. When you send something, it has a purpose. Jesus is saying, I've been sent and I have a purpose. I need to say something and I need to do something. I need to provide something. Are you all with me? So that's the first thing you gotta notice. Jesus says, I was sent. I, I didn't just show up. 
No, I was sent to do something. I was sent to say something. So he does that. Then he goes on and he says, and what I'm going to say and proclaim is good news. How many of you guys like good news? How many like good news? The rest of you like bad news? Anybody like bad news? I hate bad news. Bad news is no, no bueno, right? No good. I don't like bad news. I like good news. And so Jesus comes to give good news. That's already good news. Then he says that good news is that I'm going to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when he says that, we got to understand that his mission, why he was sent, was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, one of the theological staples we can just, we can just learn, we can just receive right away from the scriptures. If you're reading cover to cover, like one of the things you know about the Messiah and then eventually about Jesus is that he is a king. Now, every king needs a kingdom can't be a king without a kingdom, right? His kingdom would be different than any other kingdom. Mark 1.15, I'll take you out of the book of Luke for a second. Similar statement to what he said in Luke 43. He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He announces God's kingdom in this moment. This is the announcement of his kingdom. There is a new kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. I need you to change your mind, what you're thinking about. I'll get into that in a moment. But he's saying, here's the thing. I, I am announcing myself. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Jesus is like, I'm the king of my new kingdom, and I want you to know about it. He's like, listen, I'm not your Jewishized Jesus. I'm not your Catholicized Jesus. I'm not your Disneyfied Jesus. <laughs> I'm not your Americanized Jesus. I am King Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. Son of God, also known as the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I am King Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Can you imagine being a Jew when Jesus announces this? You have had and lived your entire life with a Jewishized version of what the Messiah would be. You are imagining him kicking some Roman tail and taking names, right? That's what you are picturing. They believe that the Messiah would establish Israel as the nation above all nations for all time. Yet Jesus didn't come with a message of anything about earthly power. He didn't come declaring war or with political persuasion of words and hope for the future. Instead, he came and called people to a kingdom that was not of this world, one that was about love and sacrifice, and humility, and surrender. And from the outset, Jesus was reframing what they thought they already knew, not only about kingdoms and power, but about their life. And at the epicenter of all this, we got to catch this, at the epicenter of all this, Jesus was doing his very best during his three years of ministry. He was trying to get people to change their minds about what they thought they knew. And how unwilling are we to change our minds about what we thought we knew? Everyone say, change your mind. Change your mind. Everyone say, change your mind. Change your mind. 
the people of Israel were looking for a Messiah to establish a kingdom of this world, but Jesus was coming with a kingdom that was not of this world. He was like, you better change your mind. You better, you better see this the way I'm seeing it. Change what you're looking for. You better change what you're thinking or you're going to miss your moment. That's what's happening in the Gospels. And if you really think about what's going on, there are some people who are not willing to change their mind. Instead, they want to hold on to what the culture has taught them. They want to be held and kept in captivity by the culture. Do you understand? They want to stay in that bubble because they feel like what they thought they knew is better than what Jesus was saying. And so they would not change their mind. They instead stayed grounded in the sea of sameness of the culture around them. And some were unwilling to change their mind. You know, when Jesus was in front of Pilate, Jesus, or Pilate actually asked him, he says, now, are you a king? Really, are you a king? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not here, which I think that's like baller. <laughs> He's like, my kingdom ain't here. You got your little thing, but I got a different kingdom. When Jesus said in Luke 4 that the Father had sent him to bring about his kingdom from another place, it makes what happens later in the Gospels really, really important. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus called, this is verse 1, Jesus had called the 12 together, his 12 disciples, right? And he gave them power and authority. That's nice of him. To drive out demons and cure diseases. And he sent them. Everyone say sent them. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He's like, now you better go. You better go and do what you need to do, but you need to proclaim the kingdom of God because that's why I am sending you. I have a purpose for you. You see, following the Americanized Jesus always believes that there's someone else who's sent, not you. Following the Americanized Jesus says you only need to proclaim the kingdom of God if you feel comfortable with it. It's more important for you to take care of yourself. One chapter later, Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord, he wasn't done sending people. He sent his 12, and then he sends more. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them. Two by two ahead of them. Everyone say sent them. He sent them down. He sent them out two by two ahead of them to every town the, uh, and the place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, following the Americanized Jesus defines workers as serving in a convenient, non-sacrificial way. The Americanized Jesus is all about mediocre, low levels of servanthood that don't cost us all that much. Some of this is painful, isn't it? Let's also read what Jesus says over in John chapter 17 when he's praying to the Father right before he goes back to the Lord, before he is crucified. He says, they, he's speaking of his disciples again, not just the 12, but all of his followers, they are not of this world even as I am not of it. You guys ever heard the statement, I'm not of, I, or, we're in the world, but not of it, right? In the world, but not, that's where this is coming from. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, hey, Father, as you sent me, I have sent them into the world. Jesus 
stated that his believers were not of this world. What does that even mean? Well, it means that they are not citizens of any kingdom of this world, but they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's like, okay, I kind of get that. You know, I kind of understand that. But we, also, we often paraphrase the statement of Jesus um, that we are in the world but not of it. And that's actually a little out of context, by the way, and that's a little bit out of order. Because when you say, hey, I'm in the world but not of it, there's, there's an implied mission there, as if the purpose has now shifted to my job is to be not of the world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it, right? The, the way that's ordered, the, the implication is Jesus's mission was for you to get you out of here. Anybody ever think that Christianity over the years has been really portrayed as get your fire insurance? Let's get to heaven as soon as we can. So if we think that Jesus's mission is just to get us out of here and, to, and, and, and that he is saying, you're, you're in the world, but you're just gonna have to stomach it for a little while because you're not of it. Was that Jesus's mission? Jesus is actually saying something different. He says, hey, you're in the world. That's a stated fact. You live here. You're not of the world. That's a stated fact. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But I am sending you into the world. So really it should be saying, I'm not of the world, but I'm sent into it. I'm not of the world, but I'm sent into it, which is a whole different purpose, right? A whole different implied meaning of what it means to not be of the world. I'm not of the world, but I'm sent into it. We must follow King Jesus in this idea of, okay, God, send me now. You know what the real cry of the American church is? Answer me now, God. Answer me now, God. It needs to be send me now, God. We spend so much time asking God for answers and so little time going where he sent us. He has sent us to proclaim the kingdom of God, and that's good news. And just like he did with his disciples, he's actually given us the power and empowered us through the Holy Spirit to go and do the work. So this is really, really important stuff to grab a hold of. You guys ready to go now? You guys got it, right? If we're going to get real about our version of an Americanized Jesus. So here's what I want to do to close. I want to give you a list of from twos. <laughs> From twos are simple ways to describe who Jesus is calling us to be. For example, he says, I want you to go from death to life. I want you to go from darkness to light. Right? So I want to give us a few from twos. And you got a card today that looks like this. And some of that list is on the back here. But I'm going to walk through them anyway. But we want to move from an Americanized Jesus to King Jesus. Like, this is a cultural thing. What if you had a King Jesus culture in your family, right? Like, instead of an American, Americanized Jesus. So, here we go. You all ready for this? Yep. <clears throat> we need to move from a bless me more, sort of, I need more stuff, which is rooted in measures of greed, and I just need more blessings. We talk about it all the time. Bless me more, God, bless me more. To an 
honor him more, move from bless me more to honor me more. We need to move from an answer me now, sort of this impatient sort of, we, impatient sort of attitude we have with God to a trust him now culture. I'm just going to go through these quick. Every one of these could be really a message by themselves. But here's what, I, here's what I think. There's some things on this list that I'm going to walk through that you're going to have to change your mind about. And you're going to have to do something about it because everything on the Americanized Jesus column is about me. And everything on the King Jesus side is about him. And we make our faith about me. And we struggle to make it about him. We need to move from a provide me with sort of entitled mindset where I need God to give me something, provide me with something. And we need to just learn how to thank him for what we've been given. We need to move from a give me credit. You know how many times people spend so much energy worrying about what people think about them that I want to get the credit that I deserve. That's a version of self-worship and we need to move from that to be a person who just gives him the praise. To move from a feed me more. It's been over-talked, but I just got to touch on it again. I mean, the church culture in our country is so much about, we got to have the best sermon ever. We got to have the best song ever. We got to have the best day ever. We got to have the best prayer time ever. We got to have the best everything ever. It's like you get, all you ever have to have is the best ever. Guess what? You're just, I mean, it's, you're just looking to crash and burn and be disappointed. We can't just, don't just, it can't be a feed me more life. It has to be just the simplicity of enjoy him more. Enjoy God more. From a make me happy to a make him pleased. It's a misplaced purpose whenever we think that God's job is to make you happy. It's not his job. But you know what our job is? It says in the scripture that we are to live to please him. We need to move from a tell me when. Tell me when the right person will show up in my life. Tell me when I'm going to get the job. Tell me when I'm going to get. Tell me when, God. And we need to move to a hear him when. I hear him when I get alone and I get quiet. I hear him when I humble my heart. We need to move from a fix me now. I want immediate gratification. Any problem comes along, we are so desperate in that moment that God would fix the problem. Fix it now, God, or else I'm gonna be disappointed in you and angry at you. And we need to love him always, no matter what we face, no matter what we endure, no matter what we go through. We love them. We need to move from a make me great. And a lot of us will say, I don't say that. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. The American culture is about be as successful and great as you possibly can all the time. I deal with that. You deal with that. Successism is rampant. Move from a make me great to a serve him humbly. 
from a let me first sort of mindset. Let me first just take care of what I need. Let me first get my, my 401k set up. Let me first, let me first get the right job. Let me first get the, the house I want before I really take care of the things God's calling me to do. Let me first do this, God. I gotta do this first, then you got me. Let me first. That's, that's Americanized Jesus right there in a nutshell, right? We gotta move to a make God first. Make him first. You don't trust that if you make him first, all those other things will be taken care of? We need to move from an attend my church to a be his church. You see, attend my church is a non-missional, consumeristic mindset in which we just, we're just attending a place, we're going to some place versus embodying and understanding that the church is not a building, right? The church is not a place, the church is a people. And you can't be his church, by the way, by yourself. You, it's not absent of a body. You have to have a body of believers to be the church. And then you go and you carry out who he's called us to be. But we need to move from an attend my church to a be his church people. And then this last one, we need to move from hold my beliefs where I intellectualize my faith into a set of beliefs. And then anytime I encounter someone who doesn't really agree with the way I see theology, I sort of come be, become dismissive or become a little bit questioning of them. I become a little judgmental of them because I've intellectualized everything. And I don't understand that, no, 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 my faith isn't, isn't all about what's in my head. It's about the way I live and the way I embody and the way I interact with, me, with other people. So I, I can't just make my faith about beliefs that I have to make it about a lifestyle and a way of life. So we move from beliefs to practicing his ways. You see, the Americanized Jesus is all about wanting from God. God, answer my prayer. God, bless me more. The American dream of happiness and success. And I'm not trying to beat up our culture. I love being an American. I'm proud to be, right? I, but I'm trying to be real about the struggle that I think all of us face when we get really, really honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves, are we really following the Jesus, the King Jesus, the resurrected Christ that we read about in the Bible? Or have I, have I fallen into some hybrid version of Christianity that's not about, that we don't read about at all? That, that imagine, I want you to imagine, imagine what a King Jesus culture would look like. Because the core of what Jesus taught us was about his mission, why he was sent was about the good news of the kingdom of God. He wanted to establish something new. He wanted us to change our mind about the things we thought we knew and to surrender to something that wasn't easy to do. Some of the things that are in the Americanized Jesus column, they aren't bad. God, thank, thank goodness God will bless us abundantly. God, God can answer a prayer instantly. God can certainly bring happiness. He will feed his sheep. But you can see how if that is the essence of what our faith in Jesus is about, we can easily make it about me versus him. You know, miracles, we're talking about miracles a little bit in this year. Miracles aren't even at the core of what he came to do. Did you know that miracles they only allowed him to more powerfully do what he was sent to do. Miracles were just a tool that he used to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. 
But imagine a King Jesus culture. I'm about done. But imagine it. Imagine Jesus' followers who would just honor him more. Trust him now. Thank him for everything. No entitlement, no greed. A body of believers who gives him praise instead of worrying about who's praising them. Followers who enjoy God's presence. Live to please God. Quiet our hearts enough to hear him when he speaks. Imagine, imagine being those kinds of people. No misplaced purpose or consumer-driven ministries, but to be people who love him always. Even when things aren't fixed and aren't perfect. You see, we need to learn how to suffer well and sacrifice whatever we must. We need to serve him humbly make him first in all things. Imagine a church, a city, a nation full of followers who have changed their minds about simply attending a church and they've really learned what it means to be the church. Imagine being a church, being a person that doesn't find their faith held captive by just having correct belief structures, but instead we let out the privately held beliefs that are kind of contained in our brains and we start learning how to live out our faith and practice our faith into the streets, into the neighborhoods, and into our city. You see, the Americanized Jesus is just a domesticated version of the real King Jesus. The one who showed up and revolutionized the way that people should think about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he invited us into a new way of living and a new way to be human. So here's what I know. I know that even for those of us who have followed Jesus a long time, we look at this list and there's really not that much new on it. And that's the danger of the Americanized Jesus is we think we already know. We think we already know. And Jesus is always saying, I want you to change your mind about what you think you already know. So I just want to encourage you, man. Like, I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe this whole list is like, I'm going to work on every one of these for the next 12 weeks. I don't know. Or maybe it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to take this one and I'm going, to, I'm going to put it to prayer and I'm going to put it to practice. But the idea is that you take this, you put it on a mirror, you put it in your Bible, you put it somewhere that you'll see it again, and, and you just continue to remind yourself, I will not, I will not become another, another version of, of a follower of Jesus that is more about a caricature of my culture versus an embodiment of the living, breathing Jesus Christ who was sacrificed and crucified on my behalf and called me to the same type of life. I just want to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray that the, yeah, Holy Spirit would come as we sing. This altar's open. Um, song is a time for us to just continue to reflect and pray.
Would you just join me in prayer then? Father, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Lord, we, uh, <clears throat> we just want to be people who, who not only treat you as King Jesus, but we worship you as King Jesus. We live for you as King Jesus. Lord, just as you were sent, which is, we know we are sent. Father, would we take on the very nature of our sentness to go and be the people that not only you've called us to be, but that we really get to be. May this not be a burden. May this not be something that we feel <clears throat> challenged by in some hard way, but that, Father, it would really be something that we start to see as a as the access to our freedom. So even for those of us who are saved, even for those of us who already know you, Father, continue to change us, continue to transform us, continue to reshape our minds and our hearts so that we can go and live, live the way you've called us to live. God, we thank you for your, uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jeff, that you sent him. And Lord, now I pray that as we respond to you, the Lord, this time would be yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this altar is open. Would you stand with us as we sing and as we worship for the next few minutes? This time is a time of response. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.